today we get a glimpse of God's glory, I suppose, even in dwelling a believer. When you see at moments that Christ-like behavior, but it ain't nothing to what we're going to see someday. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Beaufort, South Carolina's Community Bible Church. We're nearing the end of our study in the book of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, which is largely prophetic in terms of its description of the end times. Last week, we opened the 21st chapter and began a three-part series looking at heaven. This chapter describes a time when heaven literally comes to earth, a time following the tribulation and concurrent with the ushering in of Jesus Christ's millennial reign on earth. In part one of our study, Dr. Brogy noted that this New Jerusalem, as it is called, will be a permanent place. It will never go away. It will be a prepared place, prepared by God Himself. It will also be a beautiful and pleasing place, not at all frightening. And we also saw that it will be a purified place that will only be inhabited by those who are true followers of Christ. As we begin part two today, Pastor Carl notes that the new heaven will also be a phenomenal place. Let's rejoin him as he reads from verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So if you go today, say, to buy a house, you're typically able to learn a lot about that house ever before you arrive on the property to physically look at it. Apart from being able online today to see the inside of a house, you can often look at the exterior. Used to be some years back, you would go to Google Earth, and maybe you're moving from another state, and you wanted to kind of focus from above. Now, a lot of real estate agents, they use drones, and uh, they give you a view of the property and the neighborhood and what it's like, so you get an aerial view. Well, God is giving His man, the Apostle John, an aerial view of the New Jerusalem. He brings him to a high mountain. He's on the new earth, and he watches the New Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down. Now, notice this particular angel in this verse, and one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues. So we learn that this is one of the seven angels. Remember, there are 21 judgments we've studied here in the Revelation. Seven seal judgments, and the seventh seal was seven trumpet judgments, and the seventh trumpet were seven bowl judgments. And so we were introduced to the bowl judgments back in chapter 15, where we were told there was one angel for each bowl. Turn back a page in your Bible, would you, to chapter 17 and verse 1. And again, this is the same angel that is introducing John to this aerial view of the city. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, if you remember, chapters 17 and 18 deal with a future city known as Babylon. And Babylon will have a religious along with an economic dimension to it. So 17 deals with the religious side of future Babylon. And chapter 18 deals with the economic side, and it will be the capital where the Antichrist will rule the earth from. It's not in Jerusalem. I suggested to you that it was the city of Rome. In either case, 
the angel gives John a view of what that city was like. And if you're a born-again Christian, the things that he shows him are just repulsive to our nature, because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. And that city is called the great harlot. By contrast, this angel now shows John the holy city. And this city is described not like a harlot. It's described as a wife, the wife of the Messiah. And the closeness of the words in chapter 17 and verse 1 and chapter 21 and verse 1 makes it unmistakable that he's talking about two different places and two different groups of people. Again, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife. Now, what exactly is John being shown here? Is this angel showing the Apostle John the bride? Or as verse 10 indicates, is he being shown the holy city or the new Jerusalem? And the answer is yes, both. Because the new Jerusalem is also called the bride. That could be in your list of names for heaven. And it's also called the holy city. And it's quite an appropriate name. Look, if you will, back in verse 2 of this chapter. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Since this is the place where God's bride Israel will be, in the Old Testament, Israel is called the bride of Yahweh. And since this is the place where God's bride, the church, will be, we are called the bride of Christ. It's fitting to refer to this city as the bride city. And so as this beautifully adorned, magnificent city descends out of heaven, in essence, God says, here comes the bride. It's, it's a great title to describe where God's people. It's the eternal city, and this city is also called the bride. Now, today, if a church burns down, the pastor will often say, well, we lost our church building, but we didn't lose our people. And when they say something like that, that's a good sound theological statement because this church building is not the church. This is the meeting place of Community Bible Church. The church is never used in Scripture of a building, of course, only of people. And so since this city is associated with the bride of Christ, with the bride of Yahweh, it's called the bride, and it's a beautiful designation. Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So today we're going to get, and in the next week, just a little bit of an exterior view, and then we'll move to the inside of this city called the New Jerusalem. And when you study this city, it's really breathtaking. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. And it's in direct contrast to Babylon that is described as the pornais, the harlot. We get our word pornography from it. The people of this world follow after sensual things, whether it's smoking dope or getting high on beer or taking a pill or living sexually immoral. They're driven by the sensual, but the people of God are driven by an entirely different set of values. And again, as I mentioned last time, this is just the capital city. God spends a lot of time on the capital city because for 2,000 years, When someone dies as a believer, they go to this capital city. It's called the New Jerusalem. It's called the Father's House. It's called Paradise. It's called the Holy City. It's called the Kingdom of God, and so on. Look at verse 10. 
and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. So he's on the earth, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. Now, what earth is he on? Well, let's put it in the context. Remember what's happened. In the 19th chapter, Jesus comes back. In the fourth chapter, he comes back for the church. We call that the rapture. A door in heaven is opened. And so from chapter 4 all the way through the end of 18, the church is never mentioned again. Why? Because the church is in heaven. And we saw the church there represented by the 24 elders. But at the end of the seven-plus-year period called the Great Tribulation, Christ will come back to the earth. We call that the second coming. So in chapter 19, the second coming has taken place. Satan has been put away into the abyss for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, after Jesus rules and reigns on the earth, uh, Satan will be loosed. He will tempt some of the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of tribulation saints who are able to procreate during the time of the millennial reign of the Messiah, and he will tempt some of them to go against God's Christ, then he and all the unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire. So what will happen? Look at chapter 20 and verse 11. All the lost of all time at the end of the thousand years are arraigned. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. Where did earth and heaven go? They, they dissolved. This planet that you're on, as we'll review again in a moment, will be gone someday. So heaven and earth will flee away, and somewhere in out of space, wherever it is, God will gather the lost of all time. And we saw in Revelation 20, 11 to 15, that every single person at that judgment will be cast into the lake of fire. Look at chapter 21, verse 1. The chapter opens, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So before the new heaven and the new earth can appear, the old heaven and the old earth must disappear. This earth that we are on this morning is the stage for rebellion and for sin. And so out of absolute necessity because of the holiness of God and because all sin will be eternally removed from His kingdom, He is going to create a brand new heaven. Even the heaven that is above us is polluted, not just with pollutants, but above the first heaven, the air we breathe, there's the second heaven where the stars above are, and then there's what the Bible calls the third heaven, again, one of the names for heaven. Paul was caught up into the third heaven. He calls it paradisus, paradise. We call it the Father's home. We call it the place where our loved ones go when they die. So even the second heaven has been polluted. Why? Because there's spiritual warfare that is going on in the heavenly places. Read Daniel chapter 10. You'll get a beautiful picture of that. So God is going to rid all of that. Brand new earth, brand new atmosphere, brand new second heaven, and the third heaven will literally come down upon the earth. Now, occasionally, you will hear a pastor today largely covenant theologians. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. But people who say, well, God's just going to fix up this earth. And they have to do that because they think that there's no future for Israel. They think that God somehow is just going to fix up the current earth. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Listen to what Isaiah 65 records. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. That's what we just read in John's Revelation. 
Now, he has already described prior to this the millennial earth, but then he speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. And by the way, interestingly, the word created that the Spirit of God gives Isaiah to use in this verse is the same word that's used in Genesis 1-1, bara. Barashit bara, in the beginning created Elohim God, the heavens and the earth. It's a specific word. There's another word for creating something in the Bible where you take two or three objects and you make something. But when God uses the word bara, he is describing something that is made from nothing. God creates ex nihilo. You've heard that term that theologues use, out of nothing. He creates a new heaven and a new earth. So he's reminding us this is something very different. Listen to what the psalmist said. Of old you founded the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. Yet, he notes, even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them. They will serve their purpose. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will never come to an end. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 21, 33. Heaven and earth will pass away. It's going to pass away. But, he says, my words will not pass away. Listen to what Peter wrote, that we are to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. We are talking about a meltdown, not some remake. And then he says, but according to the promise, we are looking for new heavens. Why? Because number one and number two are gone and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And Peter uses the same word new he could have used another, but he uses the same word new that John uses here in Revelation 21.1 when he said, I saw a new heaven and a kinos, a new earth. And it speaks of something that is fresh in character, that's new in kind and new in time. It will be very different, and it will be primarily different in that it will be a place in which righteousness dwells. This creation is fallen You've been to some beautiful parts of the world, I'm sure, but none of those places that you've seen even begin to compare because even the most magnificent scene that you can fix in your mind, it's still an expression of a world that is fallen. So I saw the holy city, verse 2, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So it's seen from John literally as coming down out of heaven. So he's, again, perspective. He's on the new planet. God has already made it. The angel brings him to a high mountain. And now it's time for the new Jerusalem to literally, physically, actually descend from heaven and to land on the earth. Look again at verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Now, it's still called earth because in some ways it corresponds to the planet that we are in, but it is a brand new earth. And this place called the New Jerusalem will literally descend on the planet. Now, most Christians today have never really thought about this. They think, well, we just die and go to heaven and that's it. And they've never really thought about it for the most part because the book of Revelation is one of the most ignored books in all of the New Testament. But we need to study it because it speaks much 
about the future, and we are to set our minds on the things above and not simply the things that are on earth. The holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. God is preparing this place, and it's what we might call downtown heaven. This is just a fraction of all that God has for us in the future. And as he watches it descend, we learn that it is characterized, notice verse 11, as having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. So here he is on top of this high mountain, and as he watches the holy city come down, he's just overwhelmed by its glory, by its glow, by its brilliance. We've studied already the phrase, the glory of God in the Revelation. And one of the definitions of the glory of God in the Bible is what we call the Shekinah. You've heard that term, right? The Shekinah glory. It's a word that's not really found in the Bible. It's a descriptive word of what's taught in the Bible. It's much like the word Trinity. The word Trinity is found nowhere in Holy Scripture, but it summarizes a biblical truth. Even so, the word Shekinah is a Hebrew word that speaks of the splendor or the brightness of God's presence. So let's think about this for a moment. The Shekinah glory of God first appears, if you remember, when the Jewish people were delivered from Egypt into the Promised Land. And so during the day, there would be a pillar of cloud that would lead them, And when the sun set, so to speak, during the night, there would be a pillar of fire to enlighten them. That's the first time we see the Shekinah, the brightness of God's glory, ever appear upon the earth. The second time the Shekinah appears is in Exodus 19 and verse 18, when Moses goes to the top of the mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments. Let me read that verse. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. The third time is when, after he comes down, he goes back up, and this time he gets a set of blueprints for the tabernacle. Now, in some of the movies on Moses, you see Moses coming down with the Ten Commandments under his arm, but actually he also had the blueprints for the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a very important place in Scripture. It was the portable worship center that later, of course, becomes in a more permanent structure, the temple. But when he goes up, To get the plans, we read in Exodus 24, 16, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. You can read about it. Likewise, Exodus 33, verse 9, you see the Shekinah appear a fourth time at the tent of meeting. Remember, Moses had this little tent, and he set it up outside the camp. And all the people, the Bible would say, would go to the entrance of their tent, and they'd watch, and they'd see God's magnificent glory ascend over Moses' little tent. Remember, uh, when he came out, he had to put a veil over his face because his face was so bright, and it just glowed. It was called the tent of meeting. Now, don't confuse that. The tabernacle later is also called the tent of meeting, but this was Moses' tent. And we read in Exodus 33 in verse 9 how the Shekinah ascended on that. Fifth, we know from Exodus 40 verse 34 that the Shekinah glory also filled the tabernacle. So the first uh, worship center they built was the tabernacle. Some of you went, to me, went with me to Israel one time. We saw some Messianic Jews, some Jewish Christians who had reconstructed the tabernacle. It was perfect. 
I mean, some of the Orthodox rabbis came down from Jerusalem to make sure that it was not heretical, and they had their measuring rods and everything else, and it was like perfect. And it needed to be, because the tabernacle is a picture of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into that tabernacle, we are told in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 2, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the Ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. And so once a year, the high priest could go into that section of the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. Then, if you remember, Solomon built the first temple, a more permanent structure. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, the day the temple is dedicated, the glory of God appears. It happened that when the priest came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord, that's what we're reading about in Revelation, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Here's a picture of the Western Wall. This is where Jews go today to worship. Why do they worship at this wall? This, by the way, is just the retaining wall for the Temple Mount. When Jesus said not one stone would be upon, left upon another, he's talking about the structure that was up on top of that mount, on top of that platform. But this is the Western Wall. And for some 500 years, Jews have gone here. There were some times when it was blocked out, and there were times when they had to go to the Eastern Wall to worship. But this is the closest place a Jew could get to where the temple was located right above. Most Jews think it's right where the Dome of the Rock is. Some put it north of the Dome of the Rock. Some put it south. But it is as close as they can get. And what's important to them is not the wall. The wall means nothing to them. It's what's on the other side of that wall. Because that's where the glory of God literally actually appeared. Um, the prophet Ezekiel later saw the Shekinah glory of God leave. Let me read to you from Ezekiel chapter 10. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple. And the temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And then we read in the next chapter, chapter 11, the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. So here's Ezekiel, and he sees the glory of God depart, and it makes its last stop there on the top of the Mount of Olives. Then, of course, the second temple is built. The first temple was destroyed and obliterated by the Babylonians. Then, if you remember, they come back. Nehemiah builds the walls so that they can build the temple. They build the second temple. That's the one that Herod later gives a facelift two centuries later. But when they dedicate that temple, the glory of God never came back. And they never again saw the Shekinah glory of God. For 400 years, the temple was empty. They longed, they prayed, they, they asked God's presence to come back. And then the next time you see the glory of God, the eighth time, the Shekinah, is in a little field outside of Bethlehem where some shepherds are raising Passover sheep. That's where they were raised. And the Bible says, And the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
John will also, in reference to the birth of Christ, describe the doxa, the glory of the Father being tabernacled in the Son. And so even in Jesus, though His flesh veils the glory of God, the glory of God was present. And if you remember for a brief moment, there on the Mount of Transfiguration, they see a glimpse of the glory of Christ. Later on, after the ascension in Acts chapter 7, Stephen He preaches a powerful sermon. He reviews the whole Old Testament. You want to know what the Old Testament is about? Read Acts 7. If you can understand the events of Acts 7, I have the whole book of Acts verse by verse exposited. You'll get a handle on the entire Old Testament. And he goes through the whole Old Testament without notes, without any written scripture. He just just speaks it. What a man of God. And they are convicted to the core. And they grit their teeth. And they pick up stones, and the first martyr of the church falls. And he looks up, and he sees the Shekinah, the glory of God as Jesus is standing in heaven and as he is welcomed. The next time is in Acts chapter 9. Paul had been persecuting the church. He's on his way to Damascus, and then suddenly as he's traveling down the Damascus road, the glorious light of the resurrection, the Shekinah brightness of God appears again and blinds him. The next time was in Revelation 1.17, where we saw the apostle John get a glimpse of Christ's heavenly glory, and if you remember, he fell down at his feet like a dead man. So here in this vision, John sees a full and open disclosure of the glory of God. Today, we get a glimpse of God's glory, I suppose, even in dwelling a believer when you see at moments that Christ-like behavior, but it ain't nothing to what we're going to see someday. And it is so bright and it's so glorious, it will light all of heaven, the very glory of God. Having the glory of God, verse 11, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. You know, I don't know how to describe this except to say that this is a phenomenal place. And I suppose those words are not even adequate. It's just breathtaking. It blows him away. You know, a bride prepares herself. She goes through all the preparations, her hair, her makeup, her dress, everything, so that when she comes down the aisle, she is as presentable as she can be to her groom. Well, God is preparing a place just like that, and it will be so breathtaking, so awesome, you will hardly be able to speak. Heaven truly is a phenomenal place. Its beauty and character are beyond description. And tomorrow when we continue our message, part two of When Heaven Comes to Earth, we'll see that heaven is also a private place. To listen again to any of the messages in our series from Revelation or any of Dr. Brogy's studies, use the Search the Scriptures app available on the App Store or Google Play Store or on your computer browser, navigate to searchthescriptures.org. You can also order CDs and DVDs by calling us at 877-787-7478. And for today's message, ask for program REV64. Like many of you, we have been praying fervently for an end to the coronavirus pandemic. If the rollout of the vaccine is successful, We hope to take two groups to Israel in September and October of this year. We've recently added significantly more information about these trips, 
at our website, and we encourage you to find out about them online at stsisraeltour.com. That's stsisraeltour.com. While there, you can also register to be kept informed as new information is added. Shalom, and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Join us again tomorrow as we continue our look at When Heaven Comes to Earth as we search the Scriptures.